This is the Extravagant Promises podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Tonight, I bring you episode five, Imagine Sisyphus Happy. Before I begin the podcast, as usual, I would like to remind listeners of a few items and and also make a few requests. First, as I've said before, this podcast is free and will be always free and will be always free of advertising or sponsorships. I will never solicit funds or money from any listeners or any source. This is an act of service by me, and the only request that I have is that you ask one other person to consider listening to the podcast. If you think there's some way that I could change the podcast to make it better or make it worthy of a recommendation, please feel free to reach out to me at extravagantpromisespodcasts at gmail.com or on the interwebs on Instagram at, at extravagantpromisespodcast. You can message me there or send me an email. Next, as always, please respect my anonymity, and and I would ask that people refrain from trying to out me or dox me in any way. This is a spiritual foundation of all of our program and and principles. In is is the anonymity of our program. I also will respect your anonymity. And with that in mind, um, I'm pleased to say I've had a number of listeners reach out to me and express some very positive and heartwarming thoughts about how they felt about the podcast and, and what it's meant to them. And I would only ask when doing so, let me know if I am free to respond to your email or to your direct message. Um, I want to respect the anonymity of anybody who reaches out to me and before I respond or reply um, I want to make sure that I am uh, authorized or approved to do so and of course I will always respect your anonymity and I will never uh, inform anyone that you have spoken with me or sent me questions or anything like that in the future I do hope to do a Q&A session where I can answer questions and that are posted to me on the internet or by email and I also will have interviews with members of the recovery community and interesting people who I think can help listeners and me uh, stay sober, keep fighting the good fight, maybe find a little meaning in life or just a little fun as well uh, in the, the new life and the new pair of glasses that we get to wear. So finally, um, as I say at every podcast. This is not an AA meeting, and I'm not a therapist. I'm just a fellow traveler uh, trudging life's, the road of happy destiny. And I encourage everyone to have a home group, have a sponsor, sponsor other men and women, and regularly attend meetings. And if, if for some reason you're out there, you're alone, 
maybe you, you need a moment of comfort. I'm hoping that this podcast can be that complement to your program, that supplement that, that maybe just is a voice in the dark, that a candle out there that, that, that brings a little light to your life as it does to mine. Do not go gentle into that good night by Dylan Thomas. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. That poem is by the famous Dylan Thomas who left the world very much too quickly and, and too young. But the poem was written in an era of the last century that when a lot of work was produced that I think is incredibly meaningful and can be interpreted in many different ways about the futility of existence, about the absurdity of existence, but at the same time about, about the human condition and the human spirit to continue to fight the good fight, to fight and rage rage against the night and rage against the dying of the light. So as we know, in the last century, there were a number of philosophers, um, especially around the time of World War II and the Holocaust, that produced work. Um, and one of the most important works in my life was is it was the book known as man's search for meaning by victor frankel and i will be doing a full podcast on that book at some time in the future because it is so powerful and uh, those of you who who those of you do not know me but i'm i'm a man with uh who is despite my um, sort of business and conservative outer appearance. I am not afraid of the tattoo artist's needle. And uh, I've got a really cool three-quarter sleeve on my left arm that is the work of a, I think, pretty famous guy up in New York at Last Rites Tattoo named Darwin Enriquez. And I've got Athena the statue that it, that it stands in the Louvre in Paris is um, tattooed on my left arm, and it's beautiful. 
But I would say, like, if I could get man's search for meaning, every great quote tattooed on every stitch of my body, um, I would. That would be a little bit over the top, obviously. <laughs> um, but it's just one of those things about who I am. And um, my best friend who I've spoken of on this po podcast before, who passed away in 2012, and kind of his death ushered in the the last sort of downhill run to rock bottom that I hit um, not long afterwards. He, years ago, his favorite book was Siddhartha uh, by Herman Hesse. And I certainly was a fan um, uh, on an intellectual level, but, and that may be a book that we need to cover in the podcast as well. But personally, it wasn't, it didn't it didn't reach me as as much as his other book did his other favorite book which was man's search for meaning by victor frankl um along with night which is an incredible book by ellie wiesel um holocaust survivors both of them victor frankl and ellie wiesel i mean just incredible works about and 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 different takes on it the darkness and the light when humanity was at its absolute worst. And um, I, I often turn back to man's search for meaning for the ways in which I can find that uplifting spirit. Interestingly, um, Camus, uh, who's obviously a, a, a renowned writer and philosopher, wrote... Um, a book called The Myth of Sisyphus, which has many, not many, it's not, it's not a long book, but it is a deep work. And it takes issue with and, and, and cites um, a number of different philosophers of the time and but before. But it's, it's, I'd like to tonight kind of talk about that rage against the night, that rage against the dying of the light, you know, that, that concept of, of not going gently, don't go gently. And, 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 and I'm going to cite this later in this podcast, but the, in man's search for meaning, the um, there is a quote that is just unbelievable, um, and there are there are many quotes that are that are that are just breathtaking in their in their scope and their depth, but the one that always that I turn to is when he, when he says, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man. But one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own 
way. I mean, you can, you can hear the emotion that it brings in me uh, just reading it. It's just unbelievable because I think of that and I think of the incredible human spirit. I would never suggest that recovery or alcoholism or addiction or the stresses of life are anything like the Holocaust or being in a concentration camp. But, you know, a human being is in, in his or her suffering is in their own concentration camp. It's the concentration camp of the soul and one's susceptibility to pain and suffering and degradation and sorrow it's not it's not my place or anyone's place to say that well one one set of suffering is worse than the other and you know buck up it's not as bad as i mean but by the same token i've always just felt that if if a man who is also a professional and in many ways may have had a life very similar to mine can have everything taken away from him family wife loves everything you know people just and and still find it within him to not only write the most powerful work arguably of our time of of, of modernity for sure um among the greats um but also develop a, a scientific and psychological or psychiatric way of thinking and, and analyzing and, and, and treating people, then gosh, you know, Hey, I can, I can, I can, I can too. So let's talk about the myth of Sisyphus by Camus and, and kind of weave that into our story about not going so gently into that good night. And I'm, I'm talking about good night being, I mean, all the interpretations of that, the darkness of, of sorrow, the darkness of suicide, the darkness of addiction, of alcoholism, of despair, the darkness, the night of just giving up. Don't go. Don't go gently. Camus starts by saying, there is only there is but one truly serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. Judging whether life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question of philosophy. And that kind of blew me away because it certainly would not seem to be very politically correct. And 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 I'm sure that this was not meant to and maybe it is when we, when we read it in greater depth about about those who 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 have grave mental illnesses who cannot fathom what they're doing or what they're doing to other people when they take their own life but but as someone who has suffered and who has gotten to the point of wanting to give in to the night to stop raging um you know, it, it does it does really get to that point where you say like the the whether or not life is worth living, you know, is the pain worth it? Is the suffering worth it? Am I having meaning in this? That that really does become the question, doesn't it? Um, is the pain that I will cause other people worth it? He goes on to say, on the other hand, I see many people die because they judge that life is not worth living. 
I see others paradoxically getting killed for the ideas or illusions that give them a reason for living. What is called a reason for living is also an excellent reason for dying. I therefore conclude that the meaning of life is the most urgent of questions. Wow. Um, I, I agree. And, and in my humble opinion, I agree. The meaning of life and wrestling with that meaning of life and what it means to live and what meaning you get from life. Often that is at the root of our soul sickness, is it not? I have no meaning or I'm trying to find meaning in the bottom of a bottle of Jameson or I'm trying to numb the meaning, the suffering out of my life. In a sense, back to the book, and, and, as, and as in melodrama, killing yourself amounts to confessing. It is confessing that life is too much for you or that you do not understand it. It is merely confessing that that is not worth the trouble. Living naturally is never easy. Oh, isn't that the truth? Um, you know, you just want the, it, that I, I, I'm, I'm, it's amazing. And you think about this was written, I think, in 1942. So think about um, France and the world uh, in 1942 and what was going on. I mean, we're two years before the Allied invasion of Normandy. Things were bleak in Europe. They were horrible. I mean, there was, uh, I think, Stalingrad, depending on the time, was late 42, maybe early 1943. Um I'm not exactly sure of my dates on that. I will check them, but uh, but you think that that it's it's not like the war had turned, uh, and and certainly we hadn't entered the war. And you think what kind of an existence was going on? And then this thought of like, is it worth living? Is it worth fighting? Why why do this? And um, I think that's worth exploring. Is is kind of the context around which these works were written. The principle can be established that for a man who does not cheat, what he believes to be true must determine his action. Belief in the absurdity of existence must then dictate his conduct. And this is where Camus starts to talk about this notion that life is absurd and the, the frivolous, or not the frivolous, but the futility and the futile nature of life, that, that you cannot escape death. And what is there as a purpose of living? How can there be a purpose? It ends. Um, and I think that a lot of times alcoholics and addicts are, uh, really wrestle with this, you know, this, this, this deep God-sized hole inside of us that you've maybe made, maybe you made a mistake. Maybe life was unmanageable or maybe your soul sickness took away the tools that allowed you to manage your life. I mean, it's certainly either way it's unmanageable. But is it, was it your addiction and your alcoholism, your soul sickness that made life unmanageable? Or did the addiction, did, did life's difficulties and the unmanageability of it become ever more difficult and, un, and insurmountable because of addiction and alcoholism? You know, did, did, it, did it make you slow or did it 
did it, did it make the make the the road steeper? You know, <laughs> or or and does it matter? Um, gods, the gods had condemned Sisyphus to ceaselessly rolling a rock to the top of a mountain, whence the stone would fall back of its own weight. They had thought with some reason that there is no more dreadful punishment than futile and hopeless labor. So, of course, you know, we're talking about the Industrial Revolution, and we're talking about the industry of war, and we're talking about modernization and man's man's nature and what he does and the and the, the 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 tedious grind of life i mean think about the war machines that were grinding humanity at this time think about the industrial complex both in business and in war and in politics that are just making fodder of men and women and you know think about all of those pressures and things that play on the soul and those of us that turn to all manners of self-harm in the form of booze or drugs or cheating on your spouse or cheating on your taxes or doing whatever that just you know was not honest and true and, and your truth and your light in order to to harm yourself. And it's just kind of a mild sort of halfway version of suicide, isn't it? Not, not a healthy outcome. And here we see that Sisyphus, and, and as listeners know, Sisyphus was, anyway, this is a, a, a Greek or Roman myth. I'm not sure if, if Sisyphus appears in both, but, you know, and the story is, you know, the, the man who was, because of his, having transgressed and 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 he and Sisyphus actually got away with a lot of transgressions it turns out and again we'll go into this maybe in more depth or maybe you can look it up but Sisyphus got away with a lot but he finally he was he was shackled to this existence where he was forced to push this rock or carry this rock or just I mean there are all kinds of great artworks showing it up this mountain and you know he would get to the top and then and then at the end of the day, you know, having taken all day, just grinding to get it up there. And finally we get it to the top. And then as the morning started, you know, the, the rock would go, it would, would appear at the bottom of the mountain or would roll down. It depends on which version of translation you listen to but or read. Um, but Sisyphus is the absurd hero. He is as much through his passions as through his torture. His scorn of the gods, his hatred of death. You know, raging against the, 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 the dying of the light. Um, and his passion for life won him that unspeakable penalty in which the whole being is exerted toward accomplishing nothing. This is the price that must be paid for the passions of this earth. One sees merely the whole effort of a body straining to raise the huge stone, to roll it and push it up a slope a hundred times over. One sees the face screwed up, the cheek tight against the stone, the shoulder bracing the clay-covered mass, the foot wedging it, the fresh start with arms outstretched, the holy human security of two earth-clotted hands at the very end of his long effort measured by skyless space, and time without depth, the purpose is achieved. 
Then Sisyphus watches the stone rush down in a few moments toward that lower world, whence he will have to push it up again toward the summit. He goes back down to the plain. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a beautiful imagery, uh, literary image of, of this, just the grind, you know, again and again. And why? Why? A face that toils so close to stones is already stone itself. I see that man going back down with a heavy yet measured step toward the torment of which he will never know the end. That hour, like a breathing space, which returns as surely as his suffering, that is the hour of consciousness. At each of those moments when he leaves the heights and gradually sinks toward the lair of the gods, he is superior to his fate. He is stronger than his rock. Mm. So... That's, that, that's why I wanted to select this, and, and we're going to get into the other parts of this reading um, and, the, and the companion work about being stronger than his rock. Sisyphus, proletarian of the gods, powerless and rebellious, knows the whole extent of his wretched condition. It is what he thinks of during his descent. The lucidity that was to constitute his torture at the same time crowns his victory. Now think about that and, and the prior quote I, I gave you from Frankel. The lucidity that was to constitute his torture at the same time crowns his victory. There is no fate that cannot be surmounted with this by scorn. I'm going to have to really research and figure out if I'm interpreting this correctly from Camus, but doesn't that sound a lot like rage, rage against the dying of the light? There is no fate that cannot be surmounted by scorn. Not today. If the descent is thus sometimes performed in sorrow, it can also take place in joy. This word is not too much. Joy. Joy. Happiness and the absurd are two sons of the same earth. They are inseparable. It teaches that all is not, has not been, exhausted. It drives out of this world a God who had come into it with dissatisfaction and a preference for futile sufferings. It makes of fate a human matter, which must be settled among men. His fate belongs to him. His rock is his thing. I mean, he's accepting. Acceptance. Think about the acceptance Think about when I was in the earlier podcast when I talked about the Stockdale paradox, acceptance of, of your of your fate, but but of your of your of your climate, of your place, but not your fate. Acceptance and, and knowledge you will prevail, but but acceptance. I'm here and it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a while. Thus convinced of the holy human origin of all that is human. A blind man eager to see who knows that the night has no end. He is still on the go. The rock is still rolling. This is one of those things where recently I was with some family members and some really good friends uh, who were best friends of my my best friend who died. Um, and somebody said to me when I said, hey, I got I to gotta get up and go to a meeting. Um, somebody very, very close to me said, aren't you? aren't you cured or, I mean, isn't that, 
isn't that over? Aren't you done with that? You know, the idea being that, that somehow I, um, you know, I could be cured of the soul sickness. And I said, no, I have a daily reprieve. I have a daily reprieve and I get to, I get to start again tomorrow. If I do, if I roll that rock up, up the hill, I get to start again tomorrow with the rock at the bottom of the hill. I get to go to a meeting so I can go to a meeting tomorrow and I can stay sober today. I don't get beyond today. I get today and that's it. I get a daily reprieve from my suffering. If I follow the big book, if I do my program, if I work the steps, I'm Sisyphus. Think about those steps, the steps carved in that mountain. I'm drunk. You know, the rock never stops. It's always going to be at the bottom of that hill. And when you think, oh, yeah, cool, I pushed the rock far enough, then, we're, then, then, then that's when, guess what happens? We, 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 have, we have no more, and, and we have no program. I leave Sisyphus at the foot of the mountain. One always finds one's burden again. He too concludes that all is well. Each atom of that stone, each mineral flake of that night-filled mountain, in itself forms a world. The struggle itself toward the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. I just, I find that just so powerful. And I think, you know, and I think how, how meaningful it is to consider in the context of world history when these are going on, I mean, such unthinkable atrocities being committed by human against fellow human is enough to make anyone wonder why, why do we do this? I mean, the pain and the suffering and the just agony. And yet, in, in a small way, you know, think about that, that I think of the soul sickness, the, you know, the, those mornings you woke up. I mean, think about, I'll, I'll take you to the times when you, you know, when, when you're using or you're drinking or, you know, you, you wake up and it's, it's just maybe you're in some far off hotel room. You got work or a meeting or, you know, a business thing or or maybe you're just going to get on a plane and come home and it's it's you're just trying to grab a couple more minutes of some sort of solace and all the little tricks that you engage in and you've just got that emptiness and that sadness inside you that that blanket of anxiety that's just cloaking you oh goodness you know and you or or, or you know in early sobriety or even sometime any you know it's it's that you know you you're waking up and you're just kind of like the, the, the tragedy is I woke up. I'm still here. You know, it's like the scene in fight club when he says, you know, he kind of smiles when the, when the plane hits turbulence, you're thinking hey, this is it, you know, cool. I'm, I, I don't have to do it. I'm going to be able to, you know, my kids will get life insurance and I won't, they won't think I was a coward or a drunk when I go down Oh, you know, that sadness. And you just think, you know, again? And that's where it teaches that all is not and has not been exhausted. His fate belongs to him. His rock is his thing. (laughs) 
I mean, part of me is just like the sort of masculine side of me is just like kind of get some Sisyphus, you know, <laughs> but one must imagine, you know, the struggle itself is what makes it fills a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. I, uh, I am a huge fan of the movie Philadelphia and I'm also an opera file to some degree, kind of an amateur opera file. But one night, about 30 years ago, man, not quite 30 years ago, 20-some years ago, 24 years ago, um, I was working in a new job, and I, real, I was very, I knew right away, it was like the first week, I knew I was in the wrong place. And because of the nature of my profession, you, you can't just up and move. Or, and back then, you couldn't just up and quit your job and go to a new job. <laughs> um, you be committing professional suicide. So um, I remember coming home and seeing the movie Philadelphia and it made me cry. Um, I was alone at my parents' house and uh, no one was there and I just kind of cooked up some Brunswick stew. I probably got pretty drunk, to be honest with you. And I'm not proud of that, but 24 years ago, it's true. And um and 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 there's a part where Tom Hanks's character cites this uh, this opera called Andrea Chenier or Chenier by Umberto Umberto, <laughs> Umberto Giordano, and um, it like like some of the other readings I'm going to give you tonight was um, about the um, French Revolution, and there's a famous aria. Uh, called La Mamma Morta. They killed my mother at the door of my room. She died and saved me. Later, at dead of night, I wandered with Bercy when suddenly a bright glow flickers and lights were ahead of me. The dark street. I looked. My childhood home was on fire. I was alone, surrounded by nothingness, hunger and misery, deprivation, danger. I fell ill, and Bercy, so good and pure, made a market, a deal of her beauty for me. I bring misfortune to all who care for me. It was then in my grief that love came to me. A voice full of harmony says, Keep on living. I am life itself. Your heaven is in my eyes. You are not alone. I collect all your tears. I walk with you and support you. Smile and hope. I am love. Are you surrounded by blood and mire? I am divine. I am oblivion. I am the God who saves the world. I descend from heaven and make of this earth a heaven. I am love, love, love. Wow. You know, just, a, I mean, I think about that part where, it, you know, it's a, made a market a deal of her beauty. I mean, could be interpreted as prostituting herself. I bring misfortune to all who care for me. I mean, who among us has not felt that and and just felt that, you know, somewhere when you had that just desperate feel and, and then your higher power spoke to you again, I don't like to be like in future podcasts or in past podcasts, but, but I will, you know, I don't want to belabor 
my points too much, but I had um, a number of experiences um, as part of my experience, strength, and hope that I think, to me, proved definitively the existence of a higher power. Um, I'm not here to convince anybody that God exists or you should be religious or not religious. I will just say that before these happened and before the program happened, I was not religious. I was a tourist. And my experience was, you know, Paul on the road to Damascus in a way. Um, and it, it, it worked for me and, and I came to believe. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And at the beginning of this book, in the uh, prologue, the, there's a quote from Harold Kushner, who's the rabbi emeritus, or was the rabbi emeritus at Temple Israel in Natick, Massachusetts. Um, and and he's, he's quoted as saying, we have come to know man, capital man, as he really is. After all, man is that being who invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz. However, he is also that being who entered those gas chambers upright with the Lord's Prayer or the Shema Yisrael on his lips. That always gets me, um, just because I think of the, the, just the strength the power of your higher power just, you know, walking with you. And when I tell my full story and when I let some of my story come out about, you know, when, when, I, when I had a moment of clarity or a moment of supernatural love, um, when the God of the heavens came down from the heavens and made of the earth a heaven for me, I, I, those words were there. I walk with you. I walk with you now. Be not afraid. You're not done yet. So, I will read some of the excerpts. And where he says, we who have come back by the aid of many lucky chances or miracles, whatever one may choose to call them, we know the best of us did not return. And, and I hear that, you know, and I think of that as like, that is part of that pushing the rock is that, you know, we push the rock. That is a meaning is, is, is we have a rock to push. We weren't deprived of that. A thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. The truth that love is the ultimate and the highest goal to which man can aspire. Then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. I understood how a man who has nothing left in this world still may know bliss, be it only for a brief moment in the contemplation of his beloved. 
For the first time in my life, I was able to understand the meaning of the words, the angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of an infinite glory. And this is, you know, a man whose wife was murdered by the Nazis and who's I just who knew such deprivation and, 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 and hardship. It looks in tenebris lucid, and the light shineth in the darkness. And forgive me if, if I seem very maudlin or if I seem very melancholy or sometimes I tear up here. This, these are just works that have had a profound uh, impact on my life. And I think of the, of the synergy between, between the two works, how um, how that pushing of the rock, how that, that just, I mean, think about how, you know, you think about how horrible that would be for Sisyphus <laughs> and, and just this, you know, this monotony and, and think now that if your days were in a work camp, a concentration camp, you know, Arbeit macht frei, you know, they're, they're just these horrible people doing horrible things and you're, the, the cold ground is frozen and they're making you dig and sometimes digging your own grave with a spade against the ice and, 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 and you're, you're starving and it's just the will to live, the will to maintain that scorn for death it it that will to rage and rage against the dying of the light how do you keep it how do you do it we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others giving away their last piece of bread they may have been few in number but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. And I've already read that, but my goodness, I just still gives me chills twice in, 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 in an hour. In the final analysis, it becomes clear that the sort of person the prisoner became was the result of an inner decision and not the result of camp influences alone. He may retain his human dignity even in a concentration camp. Dostoevsky said once, there is only one thing that I dread, not to be worthy of my sufferings. These words frequently came to my mind after I became acquainted with those martyrs whose behavior in camp, whose suffering and death bore witness to the fact that the last inner freedom cannot be lost. It can be said that they were worthy of their sufferings. The way they bore their suffering was a genuine inner achievement. It is this spiritual freedom which cannot be taken away that makes life meaningful and purposeful. I, I don't even really want to comment too much because I think the words, I could never do justice to these words. And, 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 and when he describes a creative life and a life of enjoyment are banned to him. 
But not only creativeness and enjoyment are meaningful. If there is a meaning in life at all, then there must be a meaning in suffering. Suffering is an ineradicable part of life, even as fate and death. Without suffering and death, human life cannot be complete. Um, there's a, I think a psychologist named Jordan Peterson who wrote a book called The Twelve Rules of Life. And in that he talks about, you know, what is the, what does the God, or what does a God lack? What does a God, an om, om, omnipotent God lack? Limitations. And that is the meaning of human life is that we, we die. We suffer. We suffer and we die. And it's not all suffering, but, but, but without suffering and death, we do not have life. We do not have that counterpose, that, that interlude between birth and death. We, we are nothing if we don't have suffering and, 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 and punctuated at the end by death. The way in which a man accepts his fate and all the suffering it entails, acceptance, steps one, two, and three, and all the suffering it entails, the way in which he takes up his cross gives him ample opportunity even under the most difficult circumstances, to add a deeper meaning to his life. It may remain brave, dignified, and unselfish. And this decides whether he is worthy of his sufferings or not. Just... I, I just... I, when I read these, I'm, I'm humbled and... and, and and in a way, I'm, I feel humiliated—not humiliated, but I feel—I feel that I'm so unworthy when I listen to the beauty of these words and I think about my failures to accept my fate and all the suffering it entails. My failing—you know—I feel like if I was Charlie Plum or Admiral Stockdale in the Hanoi Hilton, I would have failed. You know, I would have been the guy who's like, "We're going to be home by Christmas," and 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 died a miserable death. You know, of of cowardice. That's, that's what I think of myself, you know, but it's, you take up the cross. I mean, think about Gethsemane and what Jesus knew the night before his death. I'm going to be murdered tomorrow. I'm going to be tortured and I'm going to make myself available to do this. And I'm going to pick up that cross. It may remain brave, dignified, and unselfish. Gosh, if we can just do that, that's why we go to meetings every day. So that we can, for today, remain brave, dignified, and unselfish. And like that rock with Sisyphus, it, it's at the bottom of the hill in the next morning. And we got to go, and we got to do it again. And that's how it decides, how we decide whether we are worthy of our sufferings or not. The prisoner who had lost faith in the future... His future was doomed there again. I mean, we see this over and over again in these readings where it's, it's not, I'm getting out of this, but it's, it's the faith that you will prevail. The faith in the future. You got to know I've accepted I'm, I'm, I'm in a bad way and I need to, I need to brace, brace yourself for impact, but you have faith, the faith in the future. 
Those who know how close the connection is between the state of mind of a man, his courage and hope or lack of them, and the state of immunity of his body will understand that the sudden loss of hope and courage can have a deadly effect. This is where it's really cool when you read about the neuroscience and the typhus and the diseases and all these things and how, how you know, how, how, how giving up, how loss of hope and courage all of a sudden lowered our body's resistance against infection and things. And um, absolutely, I believe that, that there is a scientific mind-body connection to that. As we said before, any attempt to restore a man's inner strength in the camp had first to succeed in showing him some future goal. Nietzsche's words, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how could be the guiding motto for all psychotherapeutic and psychohygienic efforts regarding prisoners. Whenever there was an opportunity for it, one had to give them a why, an aim for their lives, in order to strengthen them to bear the terrible how of their existence. Woe to him who saw no more sense in his life, no aim, no purpose, and therefore no point in carrying on. He was soon lost. This is where you see the Sisyphus uh, work start to kind of contradict on on in its literal uh superficial sense but i think that they're actually consistent when you really analyze them side by side is that it's 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 that you know your why and your how is to keep living and to scorn and to rage against the dying of the light what was really needed was a fundamental change in our attitude toward life this is where we start to see the explanation. We had to learn ourselves, and furthermore, we had to teach the despairing men that it did not really matter what we expected from life, but rather what life expected from us. We needed to stop asking about the meaning of life and instead to think of ourselves as those who were being questioned by life daily and hourly. Our answer must consist not in talk and meditation, but in right action and in right conduct. How many times have we heard you can't you can't think yourself into uh, you can't you can't think yourself into right action, but you can act yourself into right thinking. Life ultimately may, means taking the responsibility to find the right answer to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for each individual. I see a perfect harmony between those, those concepts. No man and no destiny can be compared with any other man or any other destiny. When a man finds that it is his destiny to suffer, he will have to accept his suffering as his task, his single and unique task. He will have to acknowledge the fact that even in suffering, he is unique and alone in the universe. No one can relieve him of his suffering or suffer in his place. His unique opportunity lies in the way in which he bears his burden. Sisyphus is happy. They must not lose hope, but should keep their courage in the certainty that the hopelessness of our struggle did not detract from its dignity and its meaning. Think about that. The hopelessness. I mean, it's futile. It's absurd, as, as Camus said. But that, and, and the struggle is, is absolutely not working. But that does not detract from its dignity and its meaning. I said that someone looks down on each of us in difficult hours. 
a friend, a wife, somebody alive or dead or a God, and he would not expect us to disappoint him. And my brother who's looking up there is sitting down, looking down on me. I know you don't expect me to disappoint you either. He would hope to find us suffering proudly, not miserably, knowing how to die. I mean, these are just, these are this, these profound, you know, you almost wonder, sometimes if you wonder, you know, these things that happen, I, I am not smart enough or experienced enough or learned enough in the ways of philosophy or philosophical, um, I don't know, epistemology, I believe, um, to know, you know, the simulation theories, all, all of that. But sometimes you wonder, you know, this had to happen in order to have this. And we say, well, we don't know if God is there. Well, how did this book come into my possession? At that moment, there was very little I knew of myself or of the world. I had but one sentence in mind, always the same. I called to the Lord from my narrow prison, and he answered me in the freedom of space. I mean, my first podcast episode, Calling All Angels, I called to the Lord from my narrow prison, and he answered me in the freedom of space. Only slowly could these men be guided back to the commonplace truth that no one has the right to do wrong, not even if wrong has been done to them. Remember that. Resentment. That's a poison we pour into the cup and drink. And yet we were not prepared for unhappiness. But for every one of the liberated prisoners, the day comes when, looking back on his camp experiences, he can no longer understand how he endured it, it all. And that's, you know, that's rem reminiscent of what Sebastian Younger writes about in his book Tribe, uh, where there are people who, who legitimately say that they would go back to, you know, in Croatian battlefields or Bosnia and Herzegovina about um, – where they were under sniper attack and, and they were saying they, they call those the good times or something like that because they bonded together and they, they had this common enemy and struggle. Um, so that is um, the last of the quotes from Man's Search for Meaning and I hope I have not done it an injustice. It is one of, if not the greatest work of writing and, and historical um, record that I know of. I know there are, you know, we can talk about the Bible and we can talk about things like that, but this is certainly up there. Um, so I, I do, I implore everyone to think about those concepts, about that, about that grind, about that, about suffering. When, the the fact of of that that what Viktor Frankl said and what he believed was that there were only a few ways in which a human being could could actually find meaning. Um, 
and that one of them was suffering. Um, and it's, it's, it's just so beautiful to contemplate that. As I close the analysis and the heartfelt discussion of man's search for meaning, it is just such a deep work that I encourage everyone to look at and read and, and, and come back to over and over again. Um, it, it, it really can be a guiding light and among the candles of light uh, in your recovery. Thus far, we have shown that the meaning of life always changes, but that it never ceases to be. According to logotherapy, we can discover this meaning in life in three different ways. One, by creating a work or doing a deed. Two, by experiencing something or encountering someone. And three, by the attitude we take toward unavoidable suffering. We are suffering, men and women in the rooms and those out of the rooms who are struggling. We are suffering. And we need to accept that suffering. We need to sit with it and to work and push that rock. We want to make amends and we want to be forgiven and we want a clean slate and we want to say we're cured and we want to say it's cool. I don't need to go anymore. I'm, I'm over it. Oh yeah, I beat that thing. I'm good. I can, I can, I can walk away from my program. I can walk away from my love. I can walk away from my heaven. I can walk away from my God because I'm good now. Right. And we know what happens then that unavoidable suffering you know, that's, that's not going away. We have to sit with it and we have to understand it. And we have to work with it and we have to push that rock. I'm going to wrap up by quoting and going back to the French revolution. Again, you know, the Holocaust and you think about 150 years earlier, 160 years earlier, the French were cutting people's heads off and in, in the center of Paris and elsewhere in the reign of terror Charles Dickens wrote a, one of the great novels, historical novel called A Tale of Two Cities. And I love the first opening quotes with the, it was the best of times. That's all beautiful and it sounds great and we probably will come back to it. But what I, what I want to think or what I want to talk about more is Sidney Carlton. You know, the man who just lived a life of, of really not, not a life of greatness, uh, a life of debauchery and, 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 and maybe that's taking it too far, but certainly not somebody who, um, you would look, look up to in, in, in the beginning, but then has his, with that, that, that heaven that comes down and the God that comes down to earth and makes of earth a heaven and it's love and the, and the willingness to sacrifice himself. And what do we, what did we know in, in John, in the Gospel of John, when we talk about Jesus at the Last Supper and greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. And, and he says, as, as his companion at the, at the, 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 the guillotine is, is executed, you know, and he says, it is a far, far better thing than I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. 
the rooms are that rest that we go to. The work and the steps, they are the far better thing that we do than we've ever done. All I can ask you is, is push the rock. Be happy when you're walking down that hill. You know, at the end of the day, you've got a plus one and you're going, hey, I got it today. Just go to sleep with that happiness and then wake up. It's time to start again. We fall to our knees and we work our program and we do what our sponsors tell us to. And we, and we, and we, and we embrace and we are worthy of those sufferings. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves are these extravagant promises. We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Let's take a moment of silence. To pray and consider and, and just have a moment of quiet for the sick and suffering inside and outside the rooms. God, tonight, let me be worthy of my sufferings, if it is your way and if it is your will. Please, God, let me be worthy of my sufferings. Amen.